Welcome again to our series, A Doubter's Guide to the Bible, number eight. And the title is, The Wait is Over, brackets, almost. So stay with us today as we continue this journey. You've just heard the reading from Mark, and I really am just going to stay with that passage that Mark wrote, starting with that very first verse, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, in our Bible, we have what we call four Gospels, four books called the Gospels. That word Gospel is a funny little word. It's uh, taken straight out of the language of the day, the vernacular. It was a well-known way. It's just good news taken from Evangelion. Good news. Good news. I've got a baby. Good news. We won the war. Good news. We've got a new king. So it was an interesting word. It was common language. And so Jesus comes along and here we have a gospel writer saying, here's the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Mark is different from all the other gospel writers. If you look at John, it's a little bit more theological. We'll go there in a minute. But Matthew and Luke start right in with the birth stories, the Christmas stories, which we had a look at last week. But now we've got Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. And he starts in the beginning. There's probably two other books that start like that with the beginning. And John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1, In the beginning God created. But this beginning is a different beginning. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. It's not like John saying in the beginning, whenever the beginning was, God, the word, already existed. No, this is the beginning of Jesus invading earth with his message, the good news. And the good news is actually the good news about Jesus. I mentioned the Gospels. It's not a biography or autobiography or just a collection of stories. They really are the stories of the fulfillment of the promises of God that are dispersed right throughout the older part of the Bible. Last week we looked at Jesus, the fulfillment of the promises of God. So Jesus is the good news. He is the message. And here we have the beginning of what this is all about. Jesus Christ, Son of God. You know, in the old... Uh, well, I was going to say the olden days, in my youth and even in ancient times, uh, and there's a revival every now and then of the symbol of a fish. You may have seen it. Christians have used it throughout the ages. Now, the Greek word for fish is ichthus, and there's a little diagram there that you can have a look at, ichthus. And really, it is the first letter of this, Jesus, Jesus, Christos, Christ, of God, Theos, Son, 
Bouyos of Saviour, yes, Saviour, Ixthos, Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Saviour. What a beautiful symbol to remind us about who Jesus is. So I'm just telling you that that's a, probably a good symbol to have. It was found in the catacombs. It was found in the places where people were persecuted, just a little fish, as an indication that we here believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, our Saviour. Jesus. Call his name Jesus. Jesus. Because he was going to save his people from their sin. He was probably called Jesus ben Joseph. Jesus, son of Joseph. Jesus, later, son of David. Because usually in our ancestry, in the Hebrew way, you always put the important person. But you know, most of the Gospels referred to him, Jesus, son of Mary. Jesus, that was just his common name. His ordinary name. Lots of baby boys called Jesus. Popular name. It just meant God saves. Christ. Now that's not his surname or his family name. It's a Greek title. Christ. Christos. Christ. And it means the anointed one or the Messiah. Now in the older part of the Bible, the people who were anointed, that is set apart for specific ministries, were priests and kings. So here we have Jesus Christ, the anointed of God, the Messiah, the promised one, anointed as were priests and kings. A little bit about his anointing later on. Son of God, Jesus Christ, Son of God. It was common knowledge that most emperors or kings, even up to the 20th century, had some sense of divine ownership. It was conferred on them by the people. And there was this sense of if you were king or you were um, a ruler, you were a son of the gods. But with Jesus, it's very, very different because his title, Son of God, is conferred on him by God himself. As it is written in the book of Hebrews, quoting some of the older parts of the Bible, where it says, For to which of the angels did God say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus had his divinity conferred on him because he is from God, of God, alongside God. He is God. Other humans, whether subjects or kings, whether masters or slaves, females or males, they are born of the flesh of men and women, mums and dads. Jesus, born of God. He is God. He bears the image of God. Look at Jesus, you see the Father. Look at Jesus, you see God. There's more promises fulfilled in Mark chapter 1. And following our reading, we see, as it was written in the prophet Isaiah, quoting a prophet who wrote 700 years before this event. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared. Written 700 years ago, before the event, that one would come who would prepare the way, who would declare, here comes the kingdom of God. It is near. And he preached a similar message. There are other allusions to, the fa- to this man, John the Baptist, in the older part of the Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, that Jesus picks up when he talks about John the Baptist. Because Malachi talks about a prophet, Elijah, coming before the Messiah comes. And guess what? Jesus, in Matthew 13, states very clearly that John the Baptist was the Elijah, the new Elijah, the one promised. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, preparer of the way. This is what he said. The one who comes after me is more powerful. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John gave them a dip in the Jordan. Jesus is going to immerse us in the Spirit. Totally different. Jesus did baptize, John, sorry, did baptize Jesus. And at this time, we see that anointing of Jesus, anointing for ministry, his his baptism. Let's read the scripture again. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. I want you to imagine that. One of the prayers recorded in Isaiah is that, oh, that God would come down and rend the heavens and break through, alluding back to God coming to Moses. They longed for that day. And here we have at this baptism, the heavens opened, God invading this earth, the Spirit anointing Jesus like a dove coming on him, and the voice of the Almighty saying, My beloved Son, he is our God, God in three. As we go on, after a while, John the Baptist is arrested, and that's a story for another day. But Jesus came to Galilee, as it says in Mark, proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus himself is the good news, and Jesus proclaims it. And he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Four parts to this message of God, uh, from Jesus. The time is fulfilled. Now is the hour, if you like. Here I am. Jesus, once in the synagogue, after he read the scriptures, he said, this is fulfilled in you today. 
So here we are, the promises of God fulfilled. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is near. That's the second part of the message. Third, repent and baptize. I want to look just for a little bit and look at some of the evidences that the kingdom of God is near. There are four things that we need to really grab hold of and appreciate about the kingdom of God being near. First of all, it's evidence that the kingdom of God is here because of the cross I have forgiveness of sins. Because of the cross, I have forgiveness of sins. He died to take away my sin. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us to, transferred us to the kingdom of his son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins that dimension of relationship with our creator God is renewed through the forgiveness of sins. Another writer, John, writes in his little book, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, confess, agree with God about our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So that first evidence that the kingdom of God is here is because of the cross we have forgiveness as we confess our sins. The second evidence of the kingdom being here is because of the resurrection, we have assurance of eternal life. You got that? Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life more abundant. He said, look at me, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father is by me. Again, in John, we read these, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. How clear is that? I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Jesus, as I said, came to give us life. And this life is abundant life or eternal life. Definition by John of eternal life is that they may know God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life is actually being known of God and knowing him. So that's the second evidence that the kingdom of God is here. First, we have forgiveness because of the cross. Second, we have assurance of eternal life because of his resurrection. Thirdly, through the teachings of Jesus, we have a way to follow as we walk to that goal of 
fully restored relationships. Remember those three dimensions that we've talked about for seven sessions before this? The dimension of our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship in this world in which we live. And so we actually have the teachings of Jesus that we can follow. We can't follow, though, unless we've known those first two things, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of the gift of eternal life, because grace precedes obedience. And it's only then that we can follow the teachings of Jesus so that we can obey them and become more like him. Really, Jesus sums up his commands in one word, love. Love reigns supreme. Listen to what is written in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the finest and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. As a forgiven community who have Jesus in our lives we have, and who have the guarantee of eternal life, we gather together regularly to worship God. And that's what we're doing now. Even though we're dispersed throughout this city, this nation, even globally, I'm told there's people from 27 different countries watching, we can't gather together physically, but we're gathering to worship our God. This gathering, this ecclesia, this is the called out one, the called out ones, the church. And part of our loving God is that vertical relationship where together we come and we worship our God, centered on the revelation given to us in Jesus. Focus, Jesus-centered, worshiping together. That's that horizontal. And together we do it better. Of course we do it alone. But together, somehow, the Spirit encourages us as we worship our God. But the, vert the that's the vertical relationship, okay? The horizontal relationship, this loving our neighbor, starts in our own community of faith where we care for each other, encourage each other, edify one another. Hundreds of one another's in the newest part of the Testament where we are to be kind and gracious, where the fruit of the Spirit is evident. But we're also to be out there in the world, feeding the poor, being an advocate for justice, sponsoring children, going to the lost, giving, caring, practically, spiritually, coming alongside others, loving God, reaching out to others. That's a sign of the cross, isn't it? The vertical and the horizontal. Love God, love our neighbour. Sounds hard though, doesn't it? Sounds hard. And of ourselves it's impossible. Even though we're a forgiven community who had the gift of eternal life and we have the teachings of Jesus, we've been graced with who God is, there's a fourth dimension of the reality that the kingdom of God is here. And listen to this, this is it. The future kingdom has broken into this world. Oh, that the heavens would open and come down. 
The future has broken into the now through the gift of the Spirit to every believer. Back to Mark 1. John baptised with water, a dip in the Jordan, but Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit, drench you in his love, his Spirit, the one who's the enabler, the one who's the equipper, the one who's the empower, the one who comes alongside, encourages, convicts, convinces, the one who's there transforming us to become more like Jesus. Joel wrote in the older part of the scripture, I will pour my spirit out on all the people. Ezekiel promised, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Gift of the spirit. Paul wrote, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. It is the Spirit of God who lets me know who my true Father is. My God, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God witnesses with my spirit that I have eternal life. The Spirit of God witnesses with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And that is the gift, the promised gift, another fulfillment of one of the promises in the older part of the Bible. Another thing just about the Spirit before we move on, and that is the Spirit, according to Paul, is that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You got that? The deposit. Most of you know what a deposit is. It's a down payment, but there's more to come. Other payments follow on. I like to look at it in a very old-fashioned way that says... The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring given to his people to say that there's more to come. It's the promise that I'm coming back. You see, in other parts of the scripture, it talks about the gathering, the ecclesia, the church, the people of God being the bride. And the bride has this gift of the engagement ring even though the bride sometimes just loses it and forgets. There is a day coming, a wedding feast, written about in the book of Revelation. We'll get there later on. There's still two more in this session. We'll get there. But listen, the Spirit of God is the guarantee that our hope is sure, that there is a future, and that all evil will be destroyed. The Holy Spirit, God's guarantee, a picture of assurance, a picture of things to come. Yeah, we said these four things, forgiveness, eternal life, way forward through the teachings of Jesus, the gift of the Spirit. So the kingdom of God has invaded this world, but we live in the pause because it is not yet in its fullness. Righteousness does not reign supreme in our world as we know it. There is still a prince of this world to be destroyed. Justice and love is not preeminent in this world now. So we live in what we call the pause. We have the kingdom of God is here, the evidence of it, but not yet in its fullness. And why the pause? Why can't it just all happen? 
Why can't it just Jesus just come and deliver us? Remember the story of Abraham? He was given promises and he said, not yet, not yet. 400 years. Why? Because the sins of the Amorites or the Canaanites are not yet complete. If you haven't listened to the rest of the series, just get online and download some of these messages so you get the continuity, so you get the full story. God gave Abraham promises, but he had to wait. And he waited 400 years. The people of Israel did. And if you read some of the New Testament stories, you find that most of the people, all of the people, all of the people in the Old Testament believed the promises, but they had to wait. They believed without them being fulfilled. And we live in the pause. So why the pause? Let me take you to a beautiful verse in Peter, a verse for which I am grateful, a verse for which gives me hope. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's why we have the pause. The mercy of God. I have this picture of God looking, waiting throwing mercy, declaring love, acts of kindness, acts of warnings, longing, longing to call people for them to come to find him, to repent. Which brings us to the next part of Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, four evidences that the kingdom is here, but we live in the pause. But meanwhile, Jesus preaches this, repent, repent. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. Kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent. Repent. Not, oh gosh, I'm so sorry I got found out. I'm really, really sorry because I got found out. Or, mum says, say sorry to your brother. And you know that if you don't say sorry, you probably won't get dinner. So with all of everything standing up inside, you say, sorry. But that's not repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of belief. That's why it's got repent and believe. Repent is a turning away from the way that you were going and going in a new direction. Forgetting the things of the past, the things that you believe, the things that you hung on to, the hopes, the disappointments, the discouragement, the ways of darkness, saying no and going forward into a new way, a different way, believing different stuff. And it's that stuff that I want to talk about you, talk to you about, because that stuff is about Jesus. We talked about Jesus being the fulfillment. The good news is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, our Saviour, our Lord, who came to forgive our sins, to gift us with eternal life, to gift us with another spirit just like him, as it says in John, the Holy Spirit this Jesus. And so belief is believing the teachings about Jesus, but not just that, it's believing in the person of Jesus. 
Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Here I am, here I am. Throw yourselves at me. That's belief. In one way, it's simple. I don't have to believe all the theological correct stuff that theologians write about and fight about and have done for 2,000 years. I don't have to know and understand all that. I don't have to know about God. I can never do that. It just says, believe what you know. I am the good news. I am your way to forgiveness. I am eternal life. I am the king who will deliver you from all evil. I will give you what you need to live the good life. Here then is Jesus. Jesus. So I call you today. Repent. Turn from what you know. Let the Spirit of God transform you and believe what is written, what is said. Believe about Jesus. Allow the Spirit of God to come in and tell you inside that, yay, I'm a child of God. My Father is God himself. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God.